Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. You guys sounded amazing this morning during worship, so great job this morning. And I, I hope that you you were paying attention to the words that we were singing this morning. Uh, Brandon and I sit down each week and we we kind of go through things together and talk about what the lesson is going to be. And we, we look at the scriptures that we're going to be using and then we kind of formulate our song service based around that. So that hopefully... Uh, as we go throughout our song service, yes, we are worshiping, of course, and that's important, but we're also getting our minds in the place to receive the message that God would have us to hear this morning. So we are going to pick up this morning with part three of our Ephesians series, and we are walking through the book of Ephesians and talking about our identity in Christ. Now, we're going to be doing this uh, today and then for the next couple of weeks, and then believe it or not, we are going to hit Thanksgiving already. And right after Thanksgiving, we're actually going to take a break from our Ephesians series. Uh, Paul was nice enough to kind of split this book evenly into two halves for us. So uh, we'll take advantage of that, and we're going to take a break right after Thanksgiving, and we're going to have a five-week series for our Advent and our Christmas series. And then once we complete that five-week series for Christmas, we will jump back into the second half, and we'll finish up the book of Ephesians. So the reason that I bring this up is, is we're going to have this really great series starting towards the end of November that's going to run all the way through the month of December. And we're going to have some special decorations for this. And we're really wanting to promote our Advent series this year. This is a great opportunity for you to invite someone to church. Just like we did with Back to Church Sunday, where we did a four-week series and we invited our friends and our family and our coworkers. The Christmas season is a great opportunity for you guys to invite someone to church with you. And I think you'll find it's just going to be a great series as we kind of look at some different angles of the Christmas story that many of you have heard many times. I promise it's going to be a little bit different, and hopefully you're going to learn something new from that. So that being said, let's go ahead and jump into Ephesians. Now we're going to kind of be all over the place this morning. So you're going to want to have your Bible or your Bible app open. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter two, but we're going to jump over to Psalms for a little bit. We're going to jump into Mark for a little bit. So uh, we're going to test out some of your uh, Bible flipping skills this morning as we unpack chapter two of Ephesians. So last week we had our family worship service. So today we'll pick back up in chapter two and we'll talk just a little bit about what we've already covered. But I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is what is your favorite roller coaster? Now, that seems like kind of a random question to be asking the church on a Sunday morning. But the reason that I ask that question, and of course, I had to pick a Disney roller coaster because those of you that know me know that's what's going to be on the screen. Any chance I get. But the reason that I ask that question is Paul's book of Ephesians or his letter to the church at Ephesus is much like a roller coaster. It kind of has its ups and downs. Kind of like any good book or any good movie, it's not all the same all the way through. It's not always happy because, see, you got to have those down parts of the roller coaster to make the up parts of the roller coaster even that much more interesting and exciting. And that's kind of what we see from Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus. So just to refresh your memory, because it has been a couple of weeks, in chapter 1, we talked about God's love for us through Jesus. And we talked about how when we find our identity in Jesus, when we see ourselves the way that Jesus 
sees us, then we see ourselves as being adopted into the family of God. We see ourselves as being blameless, as being chosen, as being redeemed, as being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that, that's how we kind of kicked off our this identity in Christ idea is by reminding ourselves of those spiritual blessings that we receive when we are in Christ. Now, part two, we kind of changed, changed, changed gears just a little bit and talked about the incomparable power of our Lord and Savior, that resurrection power, that power that he had to raise people from the dead. And we talked about that, and we talked about how that power is so important, and we talked about the incomparable riches that we receive by being in Christ. And we talked about that amazing inheritance that we're going to receive one day when we are in Christ. That's what keeps us on the right course. That's what keeps us striving every day to be more like Jesus. That's what keeps us striving for not only our own salvations, but the salvations of those that we care about and that we love. Now, here's where the roller coaster comes in. Paul kind of changes gears. He talks about all these wonderful things that happen when you are in Christ. He talks about these wonderful gifts that you receive when you are in Christ. He talks about the power that you can tap into when you are in Christ. And he talks about the amazing reward that you get by being in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he kind of changes gears here just a little bit. And he talks about, well, what happens when we are not in Christ? And see, this is that roller coaster. See, that, that first, the first chapter, right? We were kind of going up the lift hill on the roller coaster, right? We were going up and up and up, and everything was great, and anticipation was high, and things were great. And then what happens when you get to the top of the hill on a roller coaster, and you crest that hill, right? Down you go. And that's when everybody kind of goes, ah, right? Well, that's kind of how chapter two goes. Because here he was building them up, talking about, oh, I've heard such great things about you. And when you're in Christ, this is what you get. And happy, happy, happy. And then we get to chapter 2 and he kind of goes, but wait a minute. Let's not forget where you came from. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. So here Paul is kind of bringing them back down to earth, so to speak. Right? He's kind of reminding them, hey, that's great that you're on the right path, but let's not forget where you came from. It says, in which, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul says, wait just a minute before you all get too excited here and thinking you've got it made and thinking that things are going to be easy from here on out. He says, I want to remind you of where you came from. And if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about some of the things that they were struggling with in this place and this time. And it's a lot of the same things that we struggle with even today. Let's get real for just a minute. We've got to stop normalizing sin. Only one person agrees with that. We've got to stop normalizing sin. I'm almost 48 years old. I'll be 48 here in a couple of weeks. And I am amazed when I look back at just my lifetime at how much things have changed. I can remember when I was a kid, when I was the age of my youth group kids, now, 
if somebody said something even remotely off color, or even what today would not even really be considered a curse word, we went, oh, did you hear that? They just said that. Can you believe they just said that on TV? And now we hear the worst language you can imagine, and we don't even blink an eye anymore. We don't even blink an eye. I see and hear kids about eight or nine riding their bikes around the neighborhood, F-bombs everywhere, using language that we would have gotten soap in our mouth for as kids, and it's just become normal, and we don't blink an eye. We watch movies with scenes and images and things in them that we know are wrong, and it doesn't even phase us anymore. We're accepting things in our culture that we shouldn't be accepting. Kids are being taught in school, it's okay. You do you. You do what makes you happy. Even though those things are completely counter to the teachings of God. So guess what? We got to wake up. Because we got a whole other generation of kids being taught, it's okay. You do you. Do what makes you happy. And if we as the church aren't the ones to say, no, it's not okay, then all they're hearing is, it's okay. Keep doing it. It's okay. Be who you want to be. If we don't reinforce that it's not okay, and the only voice they're hearing is telling them it is okay, where is that going to lead us? Thank you. She's not wrong. We can't keep pretending that sin doesn't exist. I love what Glenn said last week. We can't keep pretending that hell doesn't exist. That we can do whatever we want, it doesn't matter, and it's going to be fine. We as the church have to take a stand and say, look, sin is sin, and it's not okay. And that's exactly what Paul's getting at. He's trying to say, look, yes, you guys are doing good, but let's not fall back into the, what you were doing before, because to you, that was normal. We've got to stop doing that. The kids today are being taught that everything and anything is okay. They're being taught to embrace it and to flaunt it and to encourage it, and it's not God's will for us. We can't be afraid to stand up and say, look, it's not okay. Okay, now we do it in love, of course. I'm not saying we slap people upside the head with it like my mom used to do to me. We do it in love, but we've got to stop letting sin become a normal part of our lives that we don't even blink an eye at it anymore. It should bother you when you hear an eight-year-old kid cussing like a sailor. It should bother you some of the music that our kids listen to and some of the lyrics in that music. It should bother you. My parents wouldn't let us watch anything but G-rated movies till I was out of high school. I'm not saying you have to go that far. But they got it. Don't let them fill their minds with it. Don't let them think that that stuff is okay. We've got to stop normalizing sin. Because we've, we've slid so far that things just don't bother us anymore and it should bother us. All right, that's my soapbox for today.
Let's go ahead and flip over to Psalms chapter 36. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Psalms 36, 1 and 2 says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or to hate their sin. This is exactly what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about normalizing sin and we don't even see it. It's happening before our very eyes and we don't even see it. You be you. You do what makes you happy. That's not what God teaches. It'd be a lot easier if he did, right? If God's word was just, hey, you do you. Do whatever you want. I really don't care. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But see, we're called to be counter-cultural. We're called to go against the norms. And he's reminding us here that if we don't see it, then guess what? It's going to start creeping into our own lives too. Because when you start to normalize sin, when you start to overlook sin, guess where it goes? Right into your heart. And we know the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that we have to guard our hearts because we are helpless without Jesus Christ. If we just keep normalizing sin... If we just keep saying, yeah, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do whatever feels good to me, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever feels good to me, that we're going to find ourselves without Jesus. And that's what Paul is reminding them of. He's reminding them, hey, things are good now, but remember how you were before you had Jesus. I want you to think with me this morning for just a few minutes about your life before Jesus Christ. I want you to think back before you accepted Christ into your heart. And I want you to think about the place that you were in and the things that you were doing and the mindset that you had without Christ. It can be a sobering thought. We don't want to dwell on our past. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to do that. But we do have to be mindful of our past because it reminds us of how much better our lives are with Jesus Christ. It reminds us how much better our lives are when we have hope of an eternal salvation. So we have to remember that place that we were in and what it looks like when we don't have Jesus. Flip over with me if you would to Mark chapter 1. And ironically, Glenn spoke about this briefly last Sunday. I had no idea he was going to do that, but that's okay. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, starts out, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. It says, when Jesus got up out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It says, the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. It says, for he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, this is a little bit of an extreme example, right? Which is exactly what I was going for. This is an extreme example of somebody who didn't know Jesus Christ. But it's an important reminder for us of how much we need Jesus. 
And maybe physically, when we don't have Jesus, you're not wandering around a graveyard. And I hope that you're not. But think about that. Isn't that really how we are without Jesus? We're just kind of wandering around, doing harm to ourselves, and making poor decisions. And see, Paul wanted the church to remember that. Let's go ahead and jump back into Ephesians verse 3. It says, All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, I like what Paul does here. And I don't want you to miss this because it's easy to overlook this. Paul says, all of us. Now, why is that word so important? Because to me, that word is powerful. Paul doesn't say, you sinners, you bad people. He says, us. And I think this is a great example of how we approach others. Because we're all sinners. So when we go to someone who is struggling, or we go to someone who's without Jesus, do we look them in the eye and say, you're making a mistake. You're a bad person. How do you think the rest of that conversation goes? But when we go to that person in love and say, look, we're all sinners. And I want to I work with you and I want to help you. And I want to teach you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love what Paul does. He says, all of us. He doesn't say all you sinners. He says, all of us. And at the end of this verse, he says, we, again, we, because Paul's saying, hey, we're all in this together. He says, by nature, deserving of wrath. We just talked about, during the communion talk, we talked about how Jesus Christ paid the, paid the price so that we didn't have to. And that's exactly what Paul's reminding them of. Look, you all deserve God's wrath for your behavior. And I think it's important as we get into the next couple of verses, I want to take just a moment to, to talk about the difference between mercy and grace. Because these are two words that we as Christians throw around a lot. And sometimes we even use these two words interchangeably. But when you look at the definition of these two words, we really shouldn't use these interchangeably because they are different. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And what do we deserve? What did Paul just say? The wrath of God. That's what we deserve. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve. Because, see, we didn't deserve for God to send Jesus Christ to go to the cross for us. We didn't deserve that. But that's what grace is all about. And that's why the title of today's lesson was Saved by Grace. Because the wrath is what we deserved. But the grace is what we received. Verse 4 says, But because of the great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by our grace you have been saved. Harry says it again. Talks about grace. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be like the demon-possessed man just wandering around in the tombs because he doesn't know Christ, because he's lost, and because he's hopeless. Paul reminds us that we're made alive in Christ 
Jesus. Alive. Think about that. Before we accept Jesus, we're dead. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. For all intents and purposes, we're the walking dead man, right? Dead man walking. We've all heard that saying before. And that's exactly how we are without Jesus. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. See, there's that again. In Christ. Verse 7 says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, there's the word grace again, expressed in the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Again, we're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what we don't deserve. And that's what Paul is reminding us of, so that we don't slip back into our foolish ways. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What a powerful reminder. It's not about what I do. Because I can be the best person in the world, and I can give all of my money to the poor, and I can do good deeds at every turn, but if I don't have Jesus, and I don't have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, then I have nothing. I have nothing. See, it's not about me. No matter what I do, if it hadn't have been for Jesus Christ, I couldn't be saved. Imagine that. Imagine if we got what we deserved. Imagine if we weren't forgiven because Christ was willing to die for us. Verse 9 picks up and says, Not by works, so that no one can boast. See, our works alone are not what saves us. It's not about, look what I did. It's not about, look what a great person I am. It's about, look what Jesus did for me. We live in a very me, me, me society. We take a lot of selfies, right? And when we do things, we, we always want to video it, right? So we can post it on social media. Because it's all about me. Look what I did. We see people, right? They're going to give money to a homeless person. And what do they do? They've got their cell phone right here, right? Wait, wait, wait. Okay, great. Because it's all about me. It's look what I did. Paul's reminding us it's got nothing to do with what you did. It's all about what Jesus Christ did for you. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. See, he created us in his image. We're his handiwork. That, that's what kills me when people say that, that people were made this way or people were made that way or, or they were born this way or born that way. No, we were born in the image of God because we are God's handiwork. God doesn't make mistakes. It says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has a plan for our lives. 
Now, sometimes we take some detours, right? And we make some wrong turns in our lives. But overall, God has a plan for us. And that plan is to spend eternity with him in heaven. And he's laid out that plan. But you know what? It's just like your GPS. Do any of you do like me? And the GPS says, turn right at the next corner. And you go, yeah, but I bet if I go down three more stoplights and then turn right, I can beat that time. I do it. I'm not going to lie. I do it. It's okay. You can admit it. Right? Because we think we know more than the GPS. And we think we can shave two minutes off of our time to work if we just go this other direction. And then what happens is you get there and there's, a, there's an accident. Right? So it turns out GPS knew what it was talking about. It, it's kind of the same way with God. See, God lays out a plan for us in Scripture, but we have to follow it. And when you don't follow it, it doesn't end well for you. Just like me with my GPS. When I don't follow the directions, it doesn't usually end well for me. But, but it's the same concept. And he's given us the tool. He's given us the guide, but you've got to follow it. What's the old saying? A map is only good if you use it. I think I've heard that a couple times, right? It's, it's only good if we use it. And, and God has laid it out for us. We're his handiwork. He's prepared in advance good works for us to do. He's laid it out for us. Paul, Paul didn't remind them of these things because he wanted them to dwell on their past. He reminded them of these things so that they wouldn't go back to it. Because what do we do when times get tough? What did the apostles do when Christ went to the cross? They left. They went back to their old lives. The fishermen went back to fishing. Because what do we do when things get hard, when we don't know what to do, we go back to our safe place. The problem with that is our safe place is in Jesus Christ. And if you're not going back to him, you're going the wrong direction. And that's how people who struggle with alcohol end up going back to the bottle. And that's how people who struggle with drugs end up going back to drugs. Because they go back to what they know. And they go back to what's comfortable. That's how people in broken relationships end up going back to the person that hurt them so much. Because it was easy and it was comfortable. And they want to go back. And Paul is reminding them, you don't have to do that. Because you have Jesus Christ now. You have a future. You are alive in Christ. And you're saved by grace. That's why Paul is reminding them. He doesn't want them to feel bad. We don't have to live in shame about our past. Nothing breaks my heart more than to hear people say, look, I can't follow Jesus because of what I've done in the past. Well, guess what? Not true. That's exactly why God sent his son. We all have a story. I have a story. You have a story. I wish I had more time. I'd love to tell you some more stories. But you have a story. And that's why I asked you earlier to think about your life before Christ and then think about your life after Christ. That's your testimony. That's your testimony. That's what speaks to people. That's the story that you share. It's okay to tell people, hey, I was a mess before I found Jesus. There was a time in my life when I was a mess. I was a mess, and then I found Jesus, and now I have a future. I want you to think about that story. I want you to think about your story and how far you've come. And share that with other people, because that is powerful. It's powerful when you say, look, I was in your shoes one time. 
And Jesus can bring you out of it just like he did for me. I don't have time to get too far into it, but, but I always think about, when I think about this concept, I think about uh, Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones being brought back to life. See, these people at the church in Ephesus were dry bones who had been brought to life. And you and me, at one point in our lives, we were dry bones that Christ brought back to life. It's a powerful story. So where do we go from here? What do we do with this? What do we do with Paul's message in chapter 2? We got to live in grace and not guilt. You're not defined by the things that happened in your past. You're defined. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. We got to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us, not the way that we see ourselves. We got to forget the past. We got to stop looking behind us and look ahead of us. Because as those that are in Christ, we have an amazing future ahead of us. Because see, this time that we have here on earth is short. And it can feel long sometimes. Sometimes the distance between Monday and Friday feels like an eternity, right? But it's short compared to eternity. We have something to look forward to. We have a goal. We have something to work for. And it's not too late to write your story. It's not too late to write your story. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 92, it's not too late. Maybe your story isn't going in the direction that you want it to go. Maybe you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe your story is just beginning. This morning, you have an opportunity to write the next chapter in your story. And maybe that's that you need to come forward and be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a great way to start your story in Christ. Or maybe, much like the church at Ephesus, maybe your story has got some really ugly chapters in it and some really painful chapters in it. And maybe this morning what you need to do is to come forward and, and to talk it out and to pray it out and say, look, I don't want to go one more day without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to. You have a chance this morning to write that relationship before you walk out those doors and you start your week in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Brandon's going to come forward and lead us in another song, and I'm going to ask the elders to come forward as well. If we can talk with you, if we can pray for you, if you have a wish to be baptized, we want to invite you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has
has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So I could walk right through it My fears are drowned in perfect love You rescued me and I will stand and sing I am a child of God You split the sea so I could walk right through are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child.